It's good to see all who are here tonight. Good to have many from Brundage here this evening as well. And I'm thankful that what we have to, to share this evening is from God and not from me. I'm so thankful for that because the word of wisdom and the word of, of men doesn't really bring about being pleasing with God. But if we reflect our knowledge of His will, then we know what pleases Him and we know how to please Him. There are so many people who think if it pleases me, it must please God. And that's not necessarily the case. We find that we have to know God's will and be familiar with it to know what pleases Him. And that is our desire, to know what pleases our God. One of the things we learned this morning that pleases our God is the need for us to change in some way, some aspects of our behavior and our attitudes, and most of all, the, the, the fact that the essence of the Christian life is calling ourselves to not follow ourselves, but to follow Him who died for us. That is, to be imitators of Jesus Christ. We talked about Acts 17, verse 30 this morning, where God is commanding all men everywhere. That doesn't mean men gender. That means all mankind, all everywhere, to repent. To repent. That word repent means to change, to change direction, to change some aspect of our behavior. God doesn't want us, if we're good, to be bad. He doesn't want just change for change's sakes. He wants us to be able to identify what part of our lives is not conforming to the life of Christ. And that's why we wrote this part of this passage on our board this morning. The Bible says it's the Christian's purpose to be conformed to the image of the Son. We've read this from Romans, the 8th chapter, verse 29, if you're taking notes. Uh, This is a very important verse in the Scripture. Notice it says, For those whom He foreknow, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. That is what our Christian life is all about. Now, this doesn't mean externally, as we already talked about this morning. It doesn't mean that we're all supposed to wear robes and, and, uh, you know, like so many did in the 60s, wear sandals and long hair and look like Jesus on the outside. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to be trying to perform miracles like walk on water and, and different kinds of things like that. People who try to imitate Jesus externally miss the whole point. Jesus came here to be an exact representation of the Father. Not, not Father's external attributes, but His character, His morality, His ethics, His righteousness. That's what Jesus came and personified. That is literally lived out through His life. He was the exact representation of His nature, the Bible says. And whenever God calls us to follow Jesus, it's not externally. It's that internal, the character of Jesus that we're supposed to be imitating. You know, but there's a lot of people who don't follow the character of Jesus, don't act like Jesus, don't talk like Jesus, aren't interested in the same thing Jesus is interested in, yet they're Christians. How is that? So many people have this disconnect between living in a Christian country or living in, going to church, and they believe that that, that makes them a Christian. Or they'll say, I've been baptized, as if just going in and out of water is all it takes to be a follower of Jesus Christ. No, my friends. The Bible more often, over 300 times, as we noticed this morning, uses the word disciple. Disciple, which means pupil. Which means follower of Jesus Christ in the sense that he is a master teacher. And we are his students. 
We're supposed to be like him, the Bible says. We looked at that passage this morning. A disciple, excuse me, a disciple, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. That's what we're supposed to become. Luke 6 and verse 40. A disciple, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So, this idea of being conformed is the essence. This image isn't external, but inwardly. The Bible says we're going to be like our teacher, not externally, but inwardly. We're supposed to have the heart of God, the mind of Christ, His compassion, His desire to obey and glorify His Father in heaven. That's what it's all about. And we're going to talk more about that tonight. I'm not going to re-preach this morning's sermon. That was just... That was just the preview to bring us up to tonight a little bit. We talked about how God requires... This isn't an option. God requires all everywhere to repent, Acts 17.30. If we're going to be a Christian, what aspect of our life does the word repent apply to? What aspects of change does God want to bring out into us? Well, before we go into some specifics, please turn to Hebrews, the 12th chapter, right quick. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, the Bible tells us that our transformation comes from the inside to the outside, as we noticed this morning. Now, this little chart right here is really taken from Matthew 23 and verse 23, if you're taking notes, where Jesus challenged the uh, scribes and the Pharisees. You know, the Pharisees were obedient to God in a lot of things, but they did it heartlessly. They did it without any internal motivation. They tithe mint and cumin, the Bible says. Dill, mint and cumin. But he says, it wasn't right. They needed to cleanse the inside of the cup. They were like a whitewashed sepulcher. Indeed, outwardly, they appeared pure and white, but inside they were full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. And he told them that was a false form of religion. God wants the real thing. He wants us to clean the inside of the cup, and the outside will be clean also. As we noticed this morning, we must worship God in spirit and in truth. John 4, verse 23 and 24. Well, here in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, notice what it says in verse 1. Uh, In this passage, he's talking about fixing what we're supposed to do in order to run the Christian race. Notice, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us... And he begins to talk about the change. He says, let us lay aside every encumbrance. Here's some change. There are some things in our life that are encumbering us, that are hindering us from running the Christian race, from being successful at the image of Jesus and getting it into our hearts and our minds. And so one of the things that we've got to do in order to bring about change, I'm not just going to get up here and say change and not talk about how to do it. It's easy to tell somebody, stop it. Parents and mothers do that to kids all the time. But sometimes you have to tell your children what to do instead of what you're telling them to stop doing. You have to tell them how to be constructive instead of destructive. And so he says here, first of all, here's what I want you to do. I want you to lay aside every encumbrance. If you're having a difficult time following Jesus Christ, maybe it's because you haven't laid aside encumbrances. Laid aside things that are hindering you from being what you need to be. You know, nobody is born just imitating Jesus. I listened to a sermon one time that was so helpful to me in my Christian life, and Brother Linwood Smith still preaches it. It's called, Why Rivers Are Crooked. Why are rivers crooked? Because often they take the path of least resistance. 
That's why rivers are crooked. They take the path of least resistance. Why are people crooked? Same reason. A lot of times it's easier to just go with the flow instead of sometimes go against what the environment is telling us we need to do or be or what they want us to do. Who's in control of your life? Are you in control or are you going with the crowd? You like to be proud. You say, I'm in control. That's why I go with the crowd. That doesn't make any sense at all. I remember in the late 60s, early 70s, boy, that dates me, I'll tell you that right quick, how I wanted to have long hair. I was in musicians. I wanted to have some longer hair than the one my dad thought I wanted to have. And my dad asked, why? And I said, Dad, I want to be an individual just like everybody else. That makes a lot of sense. You want to be an individual? And the reason why you're feeling pressure to wear long hair is because everybody else has it? That doesn't make sense. But a lot of times that's what happens in our lives. We want to be an individual just like everybody else. <laughs> is that the what it is? God tells us that there are some times whenever we have to go against the flow. Whenever we're going to have to stand up and we're going to have to be different. Because that's what Jesus would do if he was here. Notice he says here, lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which does so easily entangle us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Notice verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Did you know if you fix your eyes on anybody else, you're going to be disappointed somewhere, sometime? You're going to find hypocrisy. You're going to find inconsistency. You're going to find somebody who fell short. You're going to find somebody who's human. But when you fix your eyes on Jesus, then there's no disappointment there. No disappointment at all. How many times have you talked to somebody who's quit the church because of something once a brother or sister did? Somebody in the church is a hypocrite. Somebody in the church didn't behave corrupt correctly. And so they'll quit. And I'll go to them. I said, who are you worshiping? You worshiping the church or him who bought the church? Who are you looking at? Where are your eyes focused? My friends, if you look at other people in the church, you're going to be disappointed. But stop it. God didn't tell you to focus on them. He said, focus on Him. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's supposed to be the one you're supposed to be measuring yourself to and comparing yourself to, not other people. Not other people. You'll always, if you compare yourself with the other people, you know what's going to find? You're going to be disappointed in some and you're going to become arrogant because you're better than somebody else. And it's all not going to work the righteousness of God. God doesn't say don't compare yourself among yourselves. If you do, you're not wise. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Now that is the one we're all supposed to be following. He's the one we're supposed to be following. I don't care if you're better than everybody else in the church. Are you better than him? Are you coming up and measuring yourself to his stature of maturity? Are you coming up to his character? Are you coming up to his morality? Do you have his heart? Do you have his eyes? That's the question. I don't care how, better, how much better you are than anybody else in the church, how fewer times you sin than anybody else. That's not the point. It is not the point. We're not here to worship the church. We're here to worship him who purchased the church. So fix your eyes on him. That's the point. Then you won't be disappointed. Then you won't lose, you won't lose your enthusiasm. Because Jesus always, always inspires me and always should inspire you. Fix your eyes on Jesus.
Notice the Bible tells us there's something happens whenever we do this. Please go to Romans, the 12th chapter. In Romans, the 12th chapter, notice what he says here. Romans 12, starting reading verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, or reasonable service, is what the King James says. <coughs> Believe it or not, the original Greek is pretty accurate on this, which is your reasonable or rational service. Very accurate. New American Standard didn't do good on this one. I'll tell you the truth, both ways. <laughs> it, it means reasonable or rational service. Notice what it goes on to say. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Oh, there's how I bring about real and lasting change. Become transformed, he says, by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove... That is, demonstrate, you can demonstrate for absolute proof. You can prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Whenever we transform our minds, then we are transformed to be conformed to the image. Now, I don't mean that to be a tongue twister, but we're transformed into conforming by the renewing of our mind. How do we get our mind? How do we make sure that we have the proper image up here? My friends, there is no way to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ if you don't know him. If you don't know him. You can know a lot of facts about him, but do not know him. You may know a lot of facts about the president. That doesn't mean you know him. You know him intimately. You understand how he thinks and how he feels. There's a, in the Greek, there's a there's a difference between what they call experiential knowledge and, and just external knowledge. It, and it's sometimes difficult to get into our language. But there's a difference between knowing about somebody and really understanding someone or knowing someone. And that's what the Bible's trying to say here. You can be transformed by getting the knowledge of Jesus Christ into our hearts and into our minds. That's how we're really changed. That's how change comes about. And as we ask ourselves, as we continually examine ourselves every Lord's Day, not only just that, but we examine ourselves as we partake of the bread and, and drink of the cup. But as we day by day examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith, as we day by day are humble before the word as we read it, then that message, then those words get into our hearts and into our minds and it transforms us. We become ones who understand and know God. By the revelation that he gave us. That's how we come to know him. That's how we know Jesus Christ. There are many Christians who haven't got a clue about how Jesus Christ lived. They call themselves Christians and they don't think, they don't focus, they don't fix their eyes on Jesus. How can such a thing be? Well, as we talked about this morning, doing good just doesn't automatically make us good. In Matthew, the 23rd chapter, they were doing good by tithing, dill, and cumin. But the point is, is that didn't make them good. God said they were dead. And so a lot of times getting good external habits and having a good relationship, a good relationship with everybody, we think we, be, we, think we must be pleasing to God. When God knows within our hearts that maybe we are not right with Him. We talked this morning about the church at Laodicea in Revelation, the third chapter. How that they thought they were rich and increased with good and had need of nothing. But God said, don't you know you're poor and blind and naked? You haven't got a clue how I view you as opposed to how you view you. They thought they didn't need anything. 
But God said that they did. Well, we need to be able to identify what it is in our life that needs to change. And so uh, let's go on. I promise all my introductions aren't going to be this long (laughs) as we go on down. But we do have to focus. We do have to get the concept here. That's what we're going to try to do this week is talk about real authentic Christianity, not a form of it, not a form of godliness, but the real thing. What is the real thing? Please turn to Colossians, if you will. No, excuse me. I want to go to Colossians, but first I want to go to Ephesians. Ephesians 4.22. Please turn over to Ephesians 4. And there's a few verses that I really want you to write down. And this is one of those passages I want you to write down. Ephesians 4 and verse 22. Because here he specifically gives us a list of things we're supposed to put on and take off or uh, we're supposed to get rid of and lay aside. We, we've already talked about how Hebrews 12 tells us to lay aside some encumbrances, but now we get a list of those encumbrances. We get a list of things specifically to get out of our hearts and out of our lives. But notice what he says here in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. We're going to search, well, uh, well, let's go to verse 17 to make sure we got the context. This I say and affirm together with the Lord that you no longer walk just as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. That's what we've just talked about. They're excluded because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Just a side note here. The word greediness doesn't mean that he's talking about money here in this passage. The word greediness means somebody who is insatiable or unsatisfied. And contextually, probably the word should be translated, in other words, they've given themselves over to kind of every kind of impurity with, with a desire for even more, is what he's trying to say. In other words, there is, there is no satisfaction. They're never full. They're never satiated. In other words, every sin leads to a desire for more and more sin, and there's never a barrier at all in their lives. That's what he's talking about. But anyway, let's go on down. Verse 20. But you did not learn Christ in this way. I want you to notice that that the imagery that's being taught here, instead of Christianity being the word named here, he says you didn't learn Christ in this way. Isn't that the essence of Christianity? Whenever we're talking about our manner of life, and the way you and I live, and the way we act, the way we behave, and the way we have relationships, he uses that to say, you didn't learn Christ in that way. Isn't that talking about all of Christian doctrine? Yes. He's using it as a synonym for all of Christian doctrine. He says, whenever you've learned it, then you've learned Christ. Isn't that interesting? He says, but you didn't learn Christ in this way. Notice what he says. If indeed you have heard of him and been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life. Oh, this was something before repentance. Or as one brother said, it was B.C. Before Christ in my life. This was B.C. He says, here's what it was before Christ came into my life. He said, this is what I am supposed to lay aside. Then in in reference to your former matter of life, you laid aside the old self, the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. In other words, this was the kind of life you lived before. 
It was your former manner of life. It was a life which led to corruption. It was a life full of deceit. Stop that. You laid that aside whenever you became a Christian. And that you be renewed, verse 23, in the spirit of your mind. Now that's not Holy Spirit there. He's talking about the spirit of our mind. In other words, what kind of spirit are you? What what is the spirit of your mind? What kind of attitudes do you have? You need to be renewed in that. Renewed right here. Conformed, transformed by this renewal. Notice. And put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. He says, this is the likeness of God. The New American Standard translates this verse very well. This new self is in the likeness of God. Godliness. When was the last time we talked about that in our manner of life? Oftentimes when we talk about Christianity, it's just whether we're saved or not. Not whether anybody's living a godly life or not. How unfortunate, because that's not the way the Bible talks about it. Whenever he talks about you didn't learn Christ in this way, he's talking about God-likeness, godliness in our manner of life. And he said some people are unable to attain it because of the ignorance that is in them. My friends, we need the Word. We need to get that knowledge into our hearts and into our minds because only then can it transform us. Only then can we know what we need to do to conform to the image of Jesus. Only then can we conform to the path that Jesus would have chosen and made the decisions Jesus would have made. Notice, and that you put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created righteousness and holiness of the truth. And then he makes a list. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one with his neighbor, for we're members one of another. Okay, the first thing he really delineates here is as a Christian, if you're going to transform your life, the first thing you work on is the tongue. That's right. You're laying aside lying. You put it out of your life. You've laid that aside. Speak the truth, each one of you, one with another. For your members one of another. You're parts of one another. You know, that is the hardest thing. Whenever you work with people out in the world and you study with people, as Frankie probably knows, whenever you study with people, a lot of times, a lot of times they're intimidated by the Christian life. I know one guy who, said, who told me he didn't want to be baptized right then. He was a truck driver in Placerville, California. And he said, Glenn, I can't come to church. I'm a truck driver. I use language all day that I can't use in the church. He said, I would feel like a hypocrite coming to the church with my mouth the way it is. I said, listen, you, you give Jesus your, your heart and the mouth will come with it. <laughs> you know? And, and he, later on, a year later, he told me, it's amazing. I never thought I could have quit cussing. I never thought I could have quit swearing like I did. But he said, it's amazing. I don't even have to think about it anymore. I just th- try to follow Jesus in my, in my life, and it's amazing. And I said, that's right. That's how it works. That's how it works. You don't do it all at once, and you don't get well before you go to the doctor. Those who are well don't need the physician, but those who are sick, and I'm here to tell you, if you're sin sick, even though now, no matter what your habits are, no matter how much you've lied, no, it may be easier for you to lie than tell the truth. But don't give up. If you want to come to Jesus, you come and you bring it to him and you start laying it aside. Every time it puts itself on, you know, you lay it aside. You may be unconsciously putting on those old dirty clothes that you once laid aside. And every time you recognize it, you put it on, take it off. Lay it aside again. Put it down. Get rid of it. But that's what he says here. 
He's telling Christians, he's telling Christians to lay aside lying. Evidently, there were some Christians that had trouble with it. <laughs> For your members one of another. He had to tell Christians to stop lying. Did you ever think of that? Yeah. That's what happens sometimes. Sometimes we have to be consciously aware and force ourselves to tell the truth all the time. All the time. Notice, notice verse, 20, verse 26. He starts out with something. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your, ang- on your, on your uh, anger. Is that your problem? Perhaps you're here. You say, you know, I'm angry a lot. Well, the first question needs to be is, well, is that following the image of Jesus? Are you behaving like Jesus? My friends, I want you to ask yourself for just a question. When you are wrathful, whenever you're angry, whenever you're impatient, are you acting like Jesus? You know, like one guy told me one time, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that gives me problems. It's the parts I do understand. And that's it. This is a real specific thing here. Be angry and do not sin. Evidently, some in Ephesus needed to lay it aside. I'm asking you, brother and sister, I'm not there in your home, which is often called the closet of secret sin. But I'll tell you what, if you don't practice the presence of Jesus Christ in your home, if you think somehow you left him here when you went home, you are sadly, sadly deceived. If you think Jesus is always someplace else, whenever you got mad, whenever you spoke that way, whenever you acted that way, whenever you spit, and whenever you spewed, and whenever you lost your temper, don't you ever think that, oh, Jesus just wasn't there. He was just covering it up. He was just embarrassed and turned away. No, he was there. And he said, listen, I understand what it is to be angry, but you be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Oh, yes, God is righteously indignant, but God is always in control of his anger. Always. He never blows it. He never blows up. He never just lets it fly and gives vent to all of his wrath. Wrath means uncontrolled anger. My friends, child abuse should never be in the church, but it is. I knew of a Christian one time that drop-kicked his kid through the front screen door of his house. That's sad. He just got mad. I know of other men who have hit their wives. (laughs) Unfortunately, I know other wives who have hit their men. And I just want you men to be aware of a statistic. More often than not, men will beat up a wife. But more often than not, a wife will kill her husband. She doesn't mess around. (laughs) It's scary. It's scary whenever you get into counseling situations and you hear, what happened? And you go, these people are both trying to be Christians. How can it be so out of control? So out of control. It's because you failed to practice the presence of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk more about that this coming week. We're going to talk about specific tools. We're going to come back. But tonight I just want to give you some lists. Why do I want to give you some lists? I, I, I have led you astray here just a little bit. I want you to pick something to work on this week. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, I hate Glenn's meetings. He gives us homework. That's right. Give you some homework because we're not going to go away and be forgetful hearers. 
We're going to be specific. Let's understand. God says specifically, this is something I want you to work on. Lay aside anger. Let's go on down. Notice what it says. Do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer. Perhaps you're, you know, shopping for the new fall fashions without a checkbook. Five finger discount. Perhaps you have a problem with, uh, oh, we're not going to call it stealing. We're just going to call it shoplifting. And it's a game to see if we can get away with it. There's some kids who think that that's nothing more than what it is. It's a game. It's not a game. It's stealing. Notice what it goes on to say. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with him as need. Perhaps you need to get into the discipline of working for what you acquire. Verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. Unwholesome word. We all know what that is. An unwholesome word is a word that doesn't have any, any teaching in it. There's nothing beneficial in those words. They're just words usually slung as a weapon in a conversation. The Bible says, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. Notice, he goes on down, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Husbands, wives, parents, children. When you speak to your mom and dad, are your words edifying? Are they truly giving grace? Are they empowering your parents? Or are they just telling off your parents? What are they? What are they? You know, I was so thankful, my dad. There were six of us kids. I won't talk about what I know about Terry, Tracy, but anyway. The whole point is, you know, it's hard taking care of six kids, especially when dad's up preaching. <laughs> And it was, it was often tough and difficult. And uh, the Bible says honor as well as obey your parents. And it was awful tough. And oftentimes dad would say, do what I told you to do. And we would go, but. And he would say, now look. Now look. I understand there may be some reason, some reason why you can't do what I'm asking you to do right now. And I'm going to practice the rule of giving you one shot. There may be something more important. The reason why the kid may be saying but is because mom told him to do something. I mean, there's a logical reason. And so I'm thankful for my dad. He, he often said, okay, if I ask you to do something, you get one but. <laughs> one but. And that means, but <laughs> you had to make your words clear and concise because you only got one shot at it. <laughs> and you had to give an answer. And then after that, the decision was final. I understand but no, go do what I ask you to do. You know, that's often what needs to happen. Whenever you, whenever you have a relationship with someone, then it works that way because everybody understands the parameters. Well, so it is with God, too. He doesn't say, don't blow out the parameters, don't break down the walls. I want you to let your words be edifying. Make sure they're helpful. If you're going to have a criticism, make sure you have a helpful suggestion. Let it be edifying. Try to think of something beneficial to say. Mom, you're a great cook tonight. Supper was great, but... you know, At least give the compliment. Let something good come out of it. If you will oil our relationships and our transactions in this way, if we would obey these passages, how much things would be better? But guess what? 
and following Christianity, we're commanded to behave in this way. This isn't an option. These aren't just words, yeah, well, it's a great self-help word. God says, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. In other words, if you do, it's a sin. That's what he's saying. If you do, it's a sin. You can't call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ if you let unwholesome words proceed out of your mouth. Jesus doesn't talk that way. How about that? Jesus doesn't talk that way. That's what we need to get back to, is how would Jesus handle this? Notice, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom we were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Now malice is that active ill will towards someone. But be kind to one another. Here's what we're supposed to be like. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Oh, look at the example. Look at the example. Just as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Does that list describe the way you handle disappointment? Describe the way you handle problems? There's some putting off and putting on, isn't there? With our knowledge now, we need to have it transform our lives so that we can be conformed to the image of His dear Son. I want you to think about that list, and I want you to write down what you're going to be working on. Yeah, I know I need to change. What are you working on? I haven't got a clue. That's not supposed to be the Christian way, guys. We need to know what it is we're working on. When you're working on a house, you don't just say, I'm working on the house. You have specific things in mind that you're going to do. You have a list And that's what the Bible gives us. He says, here's what to put off. Here's what to put on. I want you to think about these things. I want you to ask not how they apply to others, but how do they apply to me? What am I working on? Let's go to Colossians 3, verse 8. This is another list. Write down this passage and look at it as your leisure. And think about the things that it brings about, the changes that it needs to bring about in our life. In Colossians, the third chapter... Excuse me. Colossians 3. We're going to start reading verse 8. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech. I thought we just quoted that passage. Well, maybe God sometimes needs to repeat himself because we weren't listening the first time. Evidently, this is a pretty important thing to put aside. Notice, now put them all aside. Put them all aside. My friends, if you have this in your character, in order to imitate Jesus, you're going to have to put it aside. Are you known for your hot temper? Have you blamed it on your genetics, your Irish heritage? Have you blamed it on your mother and your father, your grandmother? Well, I'm just that way. God says, you're not my way. You lay it aside. Notice, do not lie one to another since you've laid aside the old self with its evil practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to, listen, the image of the one who created him. It's being renewed unto the image of God. God doesn't lie. And we're his children. How dare us lie? Is your word trustworthy? That's what we need to have in Christ.
A renewal, verse 11, in which there's no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcision, barbarian, slave, free man, but Christ is all and in all. Notice verse 12. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on, put on, put, yeah, circle that little phrase right there, put on, because that's what he wants us to do, to add to our lives. That's something he wants us to change. And put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Does that describe you? As a Christian, it's got to be what we're striving to put on because this verse tells us to do that. Put on these qualities of spirit, of heart, bearing with one another, verse 13, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you. Are you a grudge holder? Are you somebody that's irreconcilable? I don't care if they said I'm sorry. Really? That doesn't make you Christ-like. Notice, forgiving each other, whoever's going to complain against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Those of us who wear His name. Beyond all these things, put on, there's the key word, circle it again, verse 14, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity put on love yeah what is love it's active thinking of someone else's benefit somebody else's welfare above your own it, first corinthians 13 describes what love does but real love is found in philippians 2 real love is described defined if you will in philippians 2 notice what philippians 2 says here if i can get there <coughs> verse 3 Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. He hit it on the head. He's thinking of someone else's spiritual welfare, their welfare above your own. Have this attitude in yourself, which was in Christ. We're called to imitate him. Have this attitude. How, wouldn't it be wonderful if everyone in the church had this attitude in themselves, which was also in Christ Jesus? Oh, it's not just a great idea. It's the, the idea. It's what we're supposed to be working toward. We're really supposed to be caring for one another and our spiritual welfare. That motivates our correction. It motivates our encouragement. It motivates our instruction. We actively try to encourage one another to love and good works. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Let's look at another passage right quick, and we're just going to run down the reads right, uh, real quickly, if you would. In Luke, in Luke the 12th chapter, verse 22. <coughs> Luke 12, verse 22. And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you shall eat or what your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, and they have no storehouse or barn, yet God feeds them. 
How much more valuable are you than the birds? Which one of you, by worrying, can add a single... uh, There is a time word here. The New American Standard translates a single hour to his lifespan. If you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor do they spin. But I tell you, Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, and, uh, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you men of light of uh, little faith. Do not seek what you will eat or what you will drink. And do not keep worrying. For these things, the, nat- the kingdoms of the world or the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you have need of all these things. Listen, here's the culmination. But seek first, or s- but seek His kingdom. And all these things will be added to you. All these things. What does He tell us to seek? You know, so many times people spend their whole life on that which will not outlast it. But he says, you're Christians. God knows that you have need of these things. Seek first his kingdom, and all of these things will be added unto you. All these things. Isn't that amazing? Please turn to Matthew 6. Matthew, the sixth chapter. Verse 25. <clears throat> For this reason, I, do not, I, uh, uh, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you shall eat or drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Here's that same thing found in Matthew. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. You're not, you are, are you not worth more than they? And who of you by worried can add a single hour to his life? Why do you worry about clothing? Notice, he once again challenges these these people. But no doubt, verse 33, going down to verse 33, listen. But seek first his kingdom. If you were looking for the word first, it's because Matthew includes it in his gospel. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. There's what we need to work on is seeking first the kingdom of God and all these things. Is that what we really have in our lives, seeking first the kingdom of God and looking everything else as just supporting that? You know, some work in the gospel uh, of of the Lord, uh, of our kingdom, the kingdom of our Lord in the field of the Lord, and yet they are known by men as, as painters, as builders, as mechanics, and everything else. But you know when you ask them what their life is about, or you ask their friends, what does that person live for? They don't want their life to be defined by how they make a living. They are not a, a painter. They are not a builder. They are, not a, they are a Christian. And how they make their money is another thing. But their life is not what they do. Their life is what they are. They're following Jesus Christ. They're Christians. You know, how wonderful it is to meet people who you know live for something greater than how they make a living. Doesn't that challenge you? When you look at them and they say, well, they do this on the side, but how, why they live is for Christ. That's the whole point. That's where God wants us to be. He says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Well, 
I didn't even get to my last point tonight, so we're going to save it for tomorrow. Tomorrow, come back, and we're going to talk about the importance of goals. But I will tell you this. I do want you to do some, some homework tonight. I want you to go home and look at the scriptures. If you have a concordance, look at all those passages that say put off and put on. I want you to look, because those are specific things that God wants us to do, specifically. What the word repentance means. Come back tomorrow night, Lord willing, and we're going to talk about how to bring about real change in your life. If you want to change your tongue, if you want to change your heart, if you have hatred, if you have envy, if you have any of these attitudes, if you have wrath tonight, oh yeah, don't, you know, I know people who have problems. You might say, well, they have problems with love problems. They, they don't know how to love. Well, my, some people come with that problem, but I'll tell you, I've, had a, I've counseled with a lot of people who have trouble with anger, frustration. Frustration. They feel out of control. And so what they do to get in control is they make everybody fear them. And they, they dominate through fear. And it's not what Jesus would do if he were here. So today, is fear the main attitude pe- that people describe your home as? Have you laid aside all of that anger and wrath? Or perhaps you're working on other things. Perhaps people don't think that going to heaven and seeking first the kingdom of God is what you're all about. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. They see your heart in your car. They see your heart in somewhere else. They don't see it in heaven. They don't see you laying up treasures in heaven. They see you you get more emotional over something that happens to your car than over some brother or sister who fell away. They see you getting more upset about some temporal thing rather than eternal things. The real key to a transformed life, the real key to authentic Christianity is someone who has fixed their eyes on Jesus and recognize he is the embodiment of the mind of God in the flesh. He is an exact representation of his nature. He lived righteousness. He illustrated what it was to be God-like. And being Christ-like is being God-like. Now, you may want to act like God, but that's not being God-like. We're talking about being like our Father in heaven. And if there's a discrepancy between what the Bible says God is like and what you or I are like, then there's where the change needs to begin. Stop accepting your shortcomings. Stop excusing your shortcomings and blaming it on your genetics, blaming it on your environment, blaming it on your friends, your wife, your husband, your children, your parents. We love to excuse ourselves. But God says, I will no longer accept excuses. The times of ignorance God once winked at, but is now commanding all men everywhere to repent. Acts 1730. Oh, that's so tough. I'd rather have a form of godliness. It's easier to practice some new habits than to change old ones. My friends, God wants you to put off the old man and to put on the new one, and that takes work. That takes effort. Come back tomorrow night and we'll talk about what specifically to do. But I want you to look over these verses tonight and I want you to write down something you are going to specifically work on. I want you to ask yourself, how am I going to be measurably different next year, next month, 
than I am today. Are you satisfied? If you're self-satisfied, then you've got more problems. If you say, sure, I need to change, but I have no clue where, I'm pretty happy with myself, then maybe we're like the church at Laodicea more than we like to ever think. We're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Are you one of those people who are sitting there tonight going, yeah, I'm humble, but I can't think of anything I need to change? (laughs) Sorry, it's not going to get it. We're going to have to need something specifically to work on. So please come back tomorrow with that in mind. And we're going to talk about how to bring about real change in our life. We're going to talk about goal setting. We're going to talk about how businesses aren't successful without goals. We're going to talk about how Christians aren't successful without goals either. So come back tomorrow night. We're going to talk about tools for real change in our life. Come back. Be with us tomorrow night. Bring your friends. Bring your friends, won't you? Tonight, if you need to start off on your path of change, if you're fully aware that you, by looking into the Word of, of God tonight that you have not laid aside the old self, we're going to call for a crucifixion right here. We're going to call for you to, in faith, repent of your sins, Acts 2, verse 38. That means put to death the old man. Lay it aside. Do some active. Take it off. We're going to ask you to take it off right now. Somebody's going to make that decision sometime. When are you going to do it? Why not now? Why don't you decide to lay aside the old... You do not have to be the same person when you leave this building that you were when you came here tonight. You don't have to be. Now, you may be, but you don't have to be. Tonight, you can leave something dead and here and bury it. You can bury it in a watery grave of baptism if you're not a Christian. You can, as Romans 6 says, you can take that old man and you can bury him and be united with Christ and in the likeness of his resurrection be raised to walk in newness of life. Romans 6, 3 through 6. You could do that tonight. But you must repent. You've got to put to death. God won't kill him for you. You've got to take it off. God's not going to rip it off your body. You've got to take it off. You've got to lay it aside. My friends, a lot of people want to get baptized without repentance. My friends, without repentance in our life, like we talked about this morning, you'll go in a wet center and come out, or go in a dry center and come out a wet center. Repentance is the key. So tonight, you've got to make a decision. You're no longer going to live that kind of life, have that heart, you have that morality. You're going to lay it aside. And my friends, you've got to come and you've got to bring it and you've got to lay it at the feet of the cross. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.